everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Well, welcome back to the conclusion of my conversation with my friend Anne Bradley. If you didn't listen to the first session, I encourage you to do that. She's really fun to listen to. We get started talking about prophecy and end times, and we can easily talk for three hours. We didn't even get into it that much this time, except to say women rising to power and men becoming increasingly effeminate is a sign of the end of a society and the judgment of God. It's what happens when God turns people over to follow their flesh because they deny him. So I need to clarify, actually, the reason I've called these sessions the petticoat rule. That term was an expression used mostly in the U.S. in between 1890 and 1940 by opponents of allowing women to vote. What they said was letting them vote, or worse, electing female politicians would lead to disaster. The result would be petticoat rule, that is, government run by women. So we talked a little about women in politics in the last session as an indicator of women coming to power, an example of how God's design is being inverted, where women are in the roles of leadership and men are taking a back seat. So I think petticoat rule and the danger of it is extremely rational and wise, and I can understand why that was a fear. The internet calls petticoat rule vintage sexism. I have to tell you, I call it common sense. (laughs) Not that I would want to take the vote away from women like that would ever happen, but in every U.S. presidential election dating back to 1984, women reported having turned out to vote at slightly higher rates than men, according to a new analysis of Census Bureau data. In 2018 and 2019, the Democratic Party held a wide advantage with women. 56% of female registered voters identified as Democrats or leaned toward the Democratic Party, while 38% identified as Republicans or leaned toward the GOP. This stands in contrast to men, among whom 50% were Republicans or GOP leaners and 42 identified as Democratic. So more women are voting than men. It turns out, or it seems so, women by default are making more of the political decisions and perhaps framing the future of the country, but that's it for that part for now, for the political section. But I also want to remind you that I started the first session of this topic in the first Petticoat Rule um, podcast, in part talking about Madeline Murray O'Hare. So just as a reminder, and if you haven't listened to the first one, I want to tell you that that's why I'm reminding you of this woman, because I end this session with the story of the way she met her end. (laughs) At one time, she was known as the most hated woman in America. She was a militant feminist and atheist, and she is best known for the Murray versus Kurtlet lawsuit, which challenged the policy of mandatory prayers and Bible reading in Baltimore public schools. Of course, that eventually went nationwide, but which caused one of the main dominoes in removing God from our public school system. She lived her life as a God hater, doing everything she could to remove him from the public discourse. So remember that when I get to the end of this session. So here's part two of Petticoat Rule, and thanks so much for tuning in again. Well, let's look at some biblical 
examples of this, and we did talk about Eve being arguably the first feminist, well, certainly by Genesis 12, when Abraham was called to follow God, and we are introduced to his wife, Sarah, who had her moments of trying to rule the roost. And then we know what that produced, which was the Arabs and the Jews that are still in conflict today because Sarah convinced Abraham to impregnate Hagar. That's really one for the ages, literally one for the ages. So we know by contrast of some of the women that we see in scripture that we are to have a gentle and quiet spirit. We are to be self-controlled. And we think about this in ways that we need to adorn the gospel. And that means that we, if we're married, willingly we submit to our husbands, which is fitting to the Lord. I think of Mary and Martha and Mary at the feet of Jesus, listening and worshiping. And so I think of those ladies that were very good examples in scripture. But the ones who weren't and didn't, like I speak of, Sarah had her misstep there. And uh, someone like Jezebel, who brought much suffering upon themselves for their attitudes and actions. And I think, again, we're talking about how there's nothing new. Here's Jezebel. She very much controlled her husband historically. That's uh, a great example. In 1 Kings 21, 25, it says, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And that means she enticed and she incited him and she was responsible for killing prophets. And then in 1 Kings 19, 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So she threatened up one side and down the other. And then we know how her story ends. <laughs> Some of her officials threw her out of the window after which Jehu drove his horses and chariots over her body. The end of the story, she's eaten by dogs by the wall of Jezreel. The only thing left of her as prophesied was a skull, feet, and the palms of her hands. So that's just one example of a woman who was so power hungry that she was just a violent mess of a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking of um, Herodias. Herodias oh, yes. was the ex-sister-in-law and then the current wife of Herod. Remember that? Who mm. killed John the Baptist? And she had a just a personal grudge against John the Baptist because he called her out for what she was, an adulteress, as Herod as well. Um, so what'd she do? She asked for his head, used her daughter to dance for these men. Oh, what a wicked, wicked woman. Right. And um, asked for the head of John the Baptist to uh, be presented to her which is so disgusting. I but I thought this was really interesting. You know, you talk about men and women and our differences. Okay, Herod and Herodias were both guilty, equally right. guilty of adultery in that situation. She went full on wicked, chop his head off and display it at a party, crazy. Right. right. <laughs> and then he, Herod, he was guilty of the same sin, but I just find this fascinating. It says that 
he was able to recognize that John was a holy man and he had worked to keep him safe and out out of danger because he was fearful of him. That's right. It's he an, was so fearful that actually he was even, he thought at one point that John the Baptist had come back to haunt him because his guilt was so intense yes. over what he had done. Right. So their responses, I mean, excuse me for saying it, but I feel that one of them responded very emotionally <laughs> and violently to the same situation. The other, equal sin, but response different. Very interesting. Yeah, very That's interesting. very good insight and point. Yeah. You know what is so interesting? I found uh, in Isaiah 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, it's talking about Israel. I mean, yeah, Israel before they're going to be, he's talking about God is telling Isaiah what's going to happen to Israel because of their unbelief and their rebellion. And it says, woe to the wicked. It will go badly for him, for what he deserves will be done to him. Oh, my people, their oppressors are children and women rule over them. My people whose guide lead you astray and confuse the direction of your paths. Exactly. There's judgment, judgment. Again, right there. Who's going to rule over you? Yes. And I think... In the New King James, I think it says capricious children, I believe, because I talked about that verse before because I find that absolutely fascinating. Oh, God's yeah. judgment is that people that cannot rule at all are completely incompetent, like children. Yes. And I'm sorry, but women, that's a role that you're they're usurping. This doesn't end well. God, you know, says it's going to end badly for you, and I'm going to use it as judgment. Yeah. Right, so children will rule over you, and people are listening to children yeah, about big concepts and governmental uh, worldwide decisions worldwide decisions are being made by a child. child. I find that so completely unwise, number one, but completely against God's word and the advice that our creator gives us you know a child should not be making decisions about how to live our lives or what gender they should be or whatever children are children right that need to be instructed and led and taught by adults until they're old enough to make wise decisions on their own Yes, but now you're talking logic. Yes. And, and, and we you know this world does not want to hear logic. Yes. So I think about a couple of good examples, though, biblically, like Deborah and Jael, even. And Deborah, in the book of Judges, she's often pointed to as a woman of significance, which she is. And sometimes, though, people point to her to make a case for female power. <laughs> So she was a judge in Israel. She was the only woman to hold that position. And it was really an exception to the rule at that time. But it was Barak or Barak's failure to show courage, to which Deborah said in Judges 4.9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. This was the battle that they were going to go into. Sure enough, that happens and then Jael, the woman, lures Sisera into her tent after the battle that he had fled from. And in Judges 4.21, then Jael, 
Heber's wife took a tent peg and took a hammer <laughs> in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground where he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And I, I love that only because, you know, when she had to, she did. And when we have to rise up to that kind of, uh, I don't know what you would call it, that kind of, I don't want to say violence, it was kind of a violent murderous act, but if we had to do something like that, we, we could. And she was actually praised for it. She was praised for it. In Deborah's song in Judges 5.24, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. And it goes on to even praise her more. And I'm just saying it's a good example of getting the job done when necessary. Women can be strong and they can be powerful and they can act in certain ways for the good of what needs to happen if they need to. And Deborah is a wonderful example too of that as well. Not just JL, but Deborah as well. In her song, it's continual praise to God for what he has done. She doesn't take credit in that way. She, she doesn't put herself up as some wonder woman. It's all about the Lord and what he has done through her, which I think is a big difference. <laughs> In a biblical example of a woman who wants all the power for herself or to usurp her husband and one that is doing what God wants them to do, following the Lord and then giving him praise as a result. Yeah. And I think that once again, it's so important to define our terms. Even when you're talking about being a gentle and quiet spirit, you know, what do we know of gentleness or meekness? Really, it's the world would say a gentle or meek person is a doormat but the bible says something complete jesus christ was gentle and but he was not a doormat and we're called to be gentle and quiet i personally think it takes a great deal of strength to be gentle and quiet amen when you have something that you're just burning to say or an action you're dying to do it takes self-restraint it takes a lot of trust in the Lord that he's going to speak for you and lead you. It takes enormous strength. So gentleness is really strength under control. That's absolutely true. That these women showed. So it is the polar opposite of what the world would say. Right. I think Abigail is another in First Samuel chapter 25. Abigail is another example of a very strong woman. In fact, God calls her uh, beautiful and discerning in that chapter, which I love. I love his description of her. Who doesn't want to be called beautiful and dis discerning? But she had a wretched husband, and she showed a lot of gentleness, yet strength. She went straight to King David at her own peril and saved her people because David was going to wipe them out. Right. Because of her husband's, Nabal's foolishness. Right. So once again, being a, a woman who follows God and God's ways and his purposes and his plan for the role he's created within our hearts and souls, that's not a sub, subversive and it's not a inferior position absolutely that is that is a position we can really take great pleasure in 
if we do it God's way. Yes, I totally agree. And I thought too, as you were talking about Sarah, Sarah, oh man, she blew it big time. I, I can't even imagine what she had to live with. It, 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 life was horrible for her after she convinced her husband to, to sleep with to, her maidservant yes, to uh, get a child because she was barren. Yes. So she really paid a big price for that. And throughout human history, we're still paying the price. But you know what I love about that is in Hebrews 11, God lists Sarah in the hall of faith the hall of faith yep. exactly mm-hmm. you know and that just that gives great hope to me yes that definitely. it's never too late for us if we have you know usurped our husband's authority if we have ignored god's plan for our lives it is never too late for us to turn and to give our hearts and our get back on the path that we truly want to follow christ i completely agree with that that's totally so encouraging agree. it is very it is very encouraging You know, I want to just say a little something about what happens when when this kind of thing happens, as we're talking about judgment on this country and what it means for a country when men grow weak, when the women are in power and they rise up and they push down men. Talk about the oppressors. It's really flipped that way. Women are pushing down men and men are abdicating, unfortunately. But what does scripture say about that? Because it's an inversion of God's design. There's the feminization of men and when men are supposed to be the leaders and the protectors. And I'm just going to give some scripture about that. Nahum 2.10 described the courage, the failure of courage when the city fell. And it says that their hearts melted, the knees give way, bodies tremble, every face grows pale, then the effect of the assault on the soldiers. Look at your troops. They are all women. That's the the effect that it has. Isaiah 19, 16. In that day, Egypt will be like women and will be afraid and fear because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he waves over it. Jeremiah 50, 37. A sword is against their horses, against their chariots, and against all the mixed people who are in their midst, and they will become like women. A sword is against her treasures, and they will be robbed. Then finally, Jeremiah 51, 30, the mighty men of Babylon have ceased fighting. They have remained in their strongholds. Their might has failed. They became like women. They have burned her dwelling places. The bars of her gate are broken. So when that happens, there's no one to protect the city. There's no one to protect the country. They fall out and they're weak and they're not going to fight and that is a disaster because men are designed to be the leaders and protectors. And when they're not, we're going to be so vulnerable, as I already think we are. Because again, how many times do we have to say it? It's because we're under judgment. Right. <laughs> we're under judgment. This is, the, this is what happens in the last days. It's going to be like those times, I think, in Isaiah and Jeremiah before, before they were exiled. I don't know if those verses necessarily are before that, but that's kind of the idea is you're going to be decimated and they're coming to take you away. Right, right. I think that we see so much of that now in our world because of the, I mean, women have really taken over our politics. You know, you have to ask yourself, 
a question. And I think it's a, a legitimate question that we need to, the country needs to be asking, but certainly Christians need to be asking, is it good to completely eliminate feminine and masculine roles and traits? Um, because these are traits that are inborn. Um, they're not outward manifestations such as clothing and things like that that can confuse the issue. But we have inborn traits that are genuinely feminine and genuinely masculine. So is it good to eliminate those and blur the lines between them? The Bible says no, <laughs> because men are, they're good forms of masculinity. There's the defensive part that you were just referring to, the provider, that, that, whole, that whole thing you were just reading just then, it's talking about men as our defense, our provision. They protect our lives because of their aggressive behavior, because they have testosterone that we do not have. They, they are power that is restrained by loving sacrifice if they are a godly husband. So there's wonderful, wonderful traits that are unique to men and not unique to women. Then there are good forms of femininity as well. You know, we're relational, we're nurturers, life givers, and you, that's not just giving birth. You know, that's creativity, all kinds of things that women have that men don't, as a rule, there are exceptions, of course, I understand to everything. They're so tied together, but there are so many wonderful traits that this era, this culture has just blurred and thrown out and said they're not important. And we end up with what you just described. It's a sad situation that we live in. Uh, and it's because people don't trust God. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, this is a very startling statistic when we're talking about the flip again the inversion men are weak women are becoming more masculine you know it's not just equality or egalitarianism it's inversion so that like i just said the men weak the women becoming in power well it's also apparently led to women becoming more violent and this is i've often heard that some with a society there's pillars that crumble before it goes in the tank completely and one of those pillars is always violence with women that women become more violent and that's your clue because women are naturally always like you were talking about nurturers and life, and givers. life givers they become life takers right when that happens yeah. you know that it has completely twisted and the Bureau of Justice Statistics between 1980 and 2017 says the number of incarcerated women increased by more than 750%, rising from a total of, just rounding it out, 26,000 in 1980 to 225,000 in 2017. Since 1990, the number of female defendants convicted of felonies in state courts has grown at more than two times the rate of increase in male defendants. I mean, what kind of statistics are those? And then I have to tell you, I just saw a horrific video that didn't even really become the national story that it should have. Did you see this? 
The one where the two girls. The Uber driver? Yes. Horrible. 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 The news media, of course, decide which, they decide which stories go up to fit their agenda. I mean, you kind of have to search for one a little bit, one like this a little bit, because they don't want you to, to see this. But those two teenage girls, one 15 and one 13, carjacking an Uber driver with a taser, apparently, and then slamming, driving away in the car, slamming the man into a light post, flipping the car. And all they were concerned about was they had left their phones in the car. They were trying to climb out of the car. They weren't concerned about the dead man who was a husband, a father, a grandfather, etc. They were concerned about getting their phones out of the car. A 13 and a 15 year old girls Mm -hmm. you know and i think that we have been conditioned as we said women are created by god to be life givers and we have i think abortion must be brought into this conversation because it's a huge hinge pen of the entire feminist movement with sexual freedom comes the right to kill your baby because babies, as we know, are often the result of sexual activity. And if that prevents you from being sexually promiscuous, then just eliminate it. So we've become, inverted this ability to give life to human beings to just willy-nilly taking the life of our babies because it's what? Not convenient mm-hmm. for me today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I It's so bizarre to me that we have become murderers in our effort to be free. Right. It, it is just, it's so sad. And that's, it just lends itself towards becoming more and more violent. When you do not defend the least of these, the baby in your womb. What more could you not defend? It's an argument, right? From right. the greater to the lesser. If you're not going to defend the most vulnerable that's attached to you, for goodness sake, are you truly going to defend the Uber driver? The Uber driver? You're not. You're not. No. And it's going to get worse. Worse. It is going to get worse and worse and worse. And um, I actually read in the, do you remember the 2019 Women's March in Washington, D.C.? They had, they created a very long and wordy declaration. It was their demands and declaration. I read it a couple of years ago. I just because I I actually knew some people that proclaim Christ who went to this walk, and I thought, how how you don't you're missing something. So I read it because I thought maybe I'm missing something. I wasn't missing anything. They <laughs> were indeed off because in among many other things it was a very long and arduous. Uh, piece of paper but among other things they demanded sexual freedom in their declaration sexual freedom abortion for all not just the right to abortion but access to abortion for anyone anytime and at no cost which means the taxpayers everybody has to Mm -hmm. pay for it right um yet the sad flip side of that is they say it's at no cost well, it's at the cost of a life. life. It's at the cost of the character and the the 
conscience of the woman having the abortion, not to mention the doctors and the nursing staff, you're searing consciences. So you get to the point where you're willing to kill an Uber driver. Exactly. Isn't that fascinating? It's like you said, fascinating. at no cost. It's a no cost abortion as mm-hmm. though money is the only thing that's in play. Right. It's a human life. It's the mother and right. The guilt that she lives with without Christ, the guilt that she lives with for the rest of her life. Right. And the, the cost is enormous. And the fact that they could so flippantly say that is another clue to right. the disaster we're facing. Right. Our pastor has had some wonderful sermons recently about where we find ourselves in this point in history, that we are there. We are. It's done. We are. We're, we're beyond saving, but for the fact that God saves soul by soul by soul yes but as a society we're done i remember um, when hillary clinton gave her concession speech i was so intrigued by what she said hillary clinton who you know she she has given a speech she's a very huge she's a huge feminist and she's gave a speech that was entitled women's rights or human rights there's that intersectionality right of um, you know civil rights, like everything joined together. We have rights, and he, right to abortion, right to everything, right to be who I want to be, basically. Right, right and to sin. not only right to do that, but it's a demand. Do you it, notice that? Everything is a demand. Yes. We demand this, and we yes. demand that. And we demand I have this, the right to demand. have what I want, even if it steps on your rights. That's right. Mm-hmm. My rights supersede your rights. Right. Mm-hmm. But they don't see that. But anyways, in her 2016 concession speech, I it tweaked me and it caught my ear because she quoted scripture. I remember that. Yes, she quoted Galatians 6.9 and she was referring to the glass ceiling. She was very upset that she had not broken the glass ceiling and become the first woman president of the United States of America. So she quoted Galatians 6.9 and said, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Oh, women, hear me roar. I, but I was so offended by that. I heard that and I literally gasped. Not for me, but for her. Because I thought, oh, Hillary, you don't know what you have just said. Because I opened up my Bible and I read the verses preceding the one she took out of context context (laughs) and quoted for her own selfish purposes and desires and the one directly after it. Galatians 6 verses 7 through 10, she quoted only verse 9, say this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. She, she's got some 
splaining to do. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't want to be standing in her shoes when she stands there trembling in terror before the God who wrote those words. Exactly. That she quoted for her own purposes, selfish purposes. Right. It's frightening. It is frightening. Well, reaping what you sow leads me right into our conclusion today. I'm going to go back to the person I started with, Madeline Murray O'Hare. How did her story end? In 1995, O'Hare, her second son, not the one who became a Christian, but the other one and her adult granddaughter disappeared from Austin, Texas. And I don't think anybody really looked for them because like I said, she got the title, the most hated woman in America. But the son had withdrawn hundreds of thousands of dollars from the American Atheist Funds and there was speculation that the trio had absconded with the money. But later, a man named David Waters, a convicted felon and former employee of American Atheists, was eventually convicted of murdering O'Hare, the son, and the granddaughter. And the bodies were not found until Waters led authorities to their burial place following his conviction. They were buried on a Texas ranch. And when law enforcement excavated there, they discovered that the legs of the three victims had been cut off with a saw. The remains had such extensive mutilation and decomposition that officials had to identify them through dental records and DNA testing. And I cannot help but make a bit of a parallel to Jezebel's demise with only a few body parts left. They were held there apparently for quite some time before they were killed. And I can't help but wonder how O'Hare's atheistic feminist ideals served her during her kidnapping and mutilation. Where did her beliefs lead in the end? Into a shallow grave. And the truth is, in regards to all of this, something that we must remember, feminism, like you said, Anne, is an ism. And it's not neutral. It is, as 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 say, this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That is an ideal, a philosophy that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Feminism is bringing every thought captive into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So defined, those are thoughts, ideas, speculations, reasonings, and philosophies, and false religions. It's all those ideological forts, it says in my study notes, in which men barricade themselves against the God of the gospel. And it's part of the satanic scheme to usurp God's design. We know that because once again, it's part of what, everybody? Romans 1. (laughs) It's the futility of thought. It's foolish hearts, it's reprobate minds, and we know it's getting worse and worse and worse. So we must continue to be salt and light and counter that kind of thinking whenever we encounter it. And so sadly, we have to end for now, but I would love to have you back, Anne, and we can talk more and more about this subject, especially the way that it infiltrates the church. I would love to do that because I completely believe with all my heart that how we live out our God-given roles matters. God gave them to us and it matters. Amen. Amen.